Gracias por sintonizar nuestro podcast. Te habla tu servidor, el Pastor Mario. Esperamos que este mensaje te anime, te desafíe y hable a tu corazón. Disfrútanos. I hope that, I mean, I'm, I'm happy you're here. I hope you're happy you're here. I know that Wednesdays can be um, a little different for some people. Um, I know a, a lot of churches nowadays don't focus on the importance of Wednesday service because they put everything on Sundays and everything's about Sunday and Sunday, 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 which Sunday is an important day. But I have come to believe that though Sunday is important, the most important service that you can attend is a Wednesday service. Why? Because Wednesday is in the middle of a week that can either be very chaotic, very messy, and it's that breath of fresh air that can pull you out of whatever darkness or situation that you may be struggling with. So it's always good to know that there's still people that believe in Wednesday service. Amen? Great. This night, I'm going to continue what we started on Sunday about the God who can't. Everyone say the God who can't. Now, we discussed on Sunday about the God who can't deny himself. And we mentioned things in the life of Moses that showed us the textual evidence about God's nature on who he is. Our focus was about what God as an entity, God as a supreme sovereign being would do. And we saw that even though Moses was backed into a corner with no possible way of making it, if not through a divine intervention of the Creator. And we saw in, in Exodus 14 how God moved this cloud between the camp of Israel and the Egyptians because Pharaoh was pursuing them to kill them. He wanted to destroy them, but God sent a cloud. And some reason, some way, God made this cloud so dense that neither camp could push through. We, we went on to see that God used the very winds to split the ocean, the sea. And we saw that God did not allow what he created to stop him from what he wanted to do. How many of you know that what Job said in chapter 42, verse 2, is an indis uh, indispensable, undeniable truth that Job says, Now I know this, that no purpose of God can be stopped. This came from Job, who many scholars would say was before Genesis. That that, 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 that was the beginning of, of, of so many things. And we saw that even though the Israelites had no way, God made a way. Because he says that my ways are not your ways. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So in other words, if you follow the way that the Father makes, you, you will be led to the way that is the truth, and it ends up leading to life. It's funny how the Father said it first, but then Jesus simply said it again in, in a different matter. But it means the same. They're both the way. To what? To salvation, redemption, forgiveness, healing, love, restoration. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And, I, and tonight, I want to continue, um, and it is my hope to succeed in finishing Lord, help me. And I want to talk to you, and I want to sow this second seed that is the God who can't break truth. Everyone say break truth. If we can get that slide up here. Thank you. The God who can't break truth. Now, the emphasis on Sunday, or in the last message, 
was about what God cannot do, denying himself. The emphasis on today would be about the God who can't break what he says. How many of you the word of God is truth? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was, is God. And I, and I want to start our reading out of the book of Matthew tonight. If you want to go over to the book of Matthew chapter 9, we're going to read some verses. I got a lot of verses, not a lot of verses, but I want to use a couple of different scenarios today in Scripture. And it is my hope that we can get to a place where we all fully come to terms with the God who can't break truth. I want you to look to your neighbor and tell them, are you ready? Ask them, are you ready? Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. Now, last weekend, when we had our Journey to Sonship um, weekend, They used Mark 5. Leonard used Mark 5. And it mentions so many different little miracles that just chained off one another. And, to, and to, today I want to use the same contextual uh, basis, but I want to refer back in Matthew chapter 9. And it says this in verse 18. As Jesus was saying this, now Jesus was teaching... And as he's teaching, the leader of the synagogue, who we know to be Jairus, right? Like it says in Mark 5. The leader of a synagogue came and knelt before him. My daughter has just died. That was the confession of man. But Jesus replies, no, sorry, but he said, but you can bring her back to life. That was man's confession of faith. The first confession was his contextual, current situation. My daughter's dead. My daughter has died. He says it in past tense because he had seen with his eyes what seemed like the end of the life of his daughter. But then he makes this confession of faith. But you can bring her back to life again. And if, if you just come and lay your hand on her. I want you to jump down to verse 21. Now we're going to quickly run into, so Jesus says, okay, I'll go with you. Let's, let's head on over to your house. And as they're going through the crowd, there was this woman with the issue of blood and this woman says in verse 21, for she thought, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Confession of faith. Jairus said, my daughter is dead, but you, Jesus, can heal her if you just lay your hand. The woman with the issue of blood said, all I need, if I can just touch the hem, if I can just get a finger on the hem of his garment, my issue will be dealt with. Run with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11 Verse 4 says the following. Now, this is dealing with the death of Lazarus. He says in John chapter 4, after Mary and Martha are disturbed at the news of Lazarus, it says, but when Jesus heard about it, meaning about Lazarus' sickness, he, he says this, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. 
No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son that so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. How would you feel if you come to a, a, a service or you show up to church and and you are needing prayer and you show up and says, My son is severely sick. I don't know how much time he has. And the pastor tells you, that's fantastic. <laughs> pastor, 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 I can't make my rent. I was just fired. I lost all my money. It was a, it was a wrongful term, termination. I don't know what to do. I have children. What am I going to do? And they say, oh, that's great news. What? What do you mean? This is what Jesus was doing. He said, oh, Lazarus is sick? Great. And he says, and he makes this confession. Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of Man, or Son of God, meaning Christ, will receive glory from this. It's funny that Jesus was telling Mary and Martha, Lazarus is sick, yes, but he will not die. This will not end in death. In fact, what is happening in this very moment is something that will glorify the Son of God. And when the Son of God is glorified, the Father is glorified. Flip to John chapter 14. A couple pages. I'm going to read a couple more verses and then we will deep dive in the next moments that we have together. And I want to thank those that are watching this night, either listening through that broadcast or, or watching in a Spanish translation or listening to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time. We know that you could have chosen many channels, heard many messages, but I'm blessed that you're listening to this one. And I hope that it does in you what it's done in me. And I, and I hope that God is glorified in that. John chapter 14, verse 1 through 4 says this, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also trust in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you. Everyone say, come and get you. So that you will always be with me where I am, and you know the way to where I am going. All of these verses hinge on one person, the Word. Everyone say the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Every time I say that and every time I read it and when I use it in prayer, it always gives me this like, like this like need to just like, I can't describe it, but it just gives me this, this sensation that I have this extra like charge or strength almost inside of me because that confession is everything. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the Word is God. In Matthew chapter 9, we see that Jairus is desperate for Jesus to come and heal his daughter. And he makes this statement of truth. You can bring her back to life again. Correct? Because the only person in, in this point in history that could have done anything about the death of a person was the life. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That was a factual truth that Jairus confessed. Because Jesus is the only one that is capable to reverse death. 
On their journey to Jairus' house, the woman with the issue of blood confesses, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed again. That is a factual scripture or a factual truth. Why? Because Jesus was the only one that carried the authority over sickness and over death. And we see all over scripture when Jesus would touch what followed. Healing. And after the healing, deliverance. Go and sin no more. In John chapter 11, we see Jesus give Mary and Martha a promise. How many of you have ever received a promise from God? Lazarus' sickness will not end in what? In death. Now, the, this specific story in John chapter 11, the reason why I, 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 I enjoy it so much, it's because it really pushes and it forces our natural mind to go way beyond the laws of natural reality and the laws of physics. Because, again, I know that I mentioned this months, I think it was last year maybe, or at the beginning of this year, that what God created, if God was the creator, he cannot abide within what he created. God created time, therefore he, can't, he doesn't abide inside of time, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? In the beginning, there was a time. So in other words, God stood outside of time. God created the heavens and the earth. There's the matter. right? And we mentioned that God cannot exist within that specific word that you and I call time. So these, this, this scripture, this John chapter 11, really messes with your mind if you look at the events and how they unfold. Jesus hears that his beloved friend Lazarus is sick, and he says, great. And then he tells the, the disciples, let's stay a couple more days. He's, he's severely terminally ill, but we're, we're, we're going to stay here a couple more days. And his disciples tell them, Jesus, these guys were almost about to stone you, and you want to go back? Again, this section in Scripture really messes with your mind. Because if you, if you and I were in that position, the wise thing would have been to do what? Well, let's go see Lazarus because this seems serious. That's our reaction. Oh, there's a problem? Let me go right now, this very instant, dump all of my responsibilities and see what I can do. But sometimes God says, oh, you're struggling? Well, Okay. And we're left there like, what? But it always serves a purpose. Jesus literally said, this will not end in death. And then Jesus tells and responds to his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. And this Oh, this, this, this messes with me. Because in verse 12, after Jesus says, Lazarus has fallen asleep, right? His disciples think, oh, well then let's just go and wake him up. <laughs> they, it just went right over their head. Because verse 12, if you read in John chapter 11, verse 12, it says this. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover But see what Jesus meant in verse 13, if you continue reading, he says, Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, wait. Jesus says in verse 4, Lazarus' sickness will not end in his death. Correct? John chapter 11, verse 13 after Jesus tells them Lazarus has fallen asleep, then they give us context to what Jesus implied, meaning Lazarus has actually died. 
What? In John chapter, in, so in verse 4, Jesus says, Lazarus will not die. But then in verse 13, Jesus says, Lazarus is dead. Okay, hold on, let me go back. And for a while, I was, I was just in a circle. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, is this why people are so bothered by the Bible and they say that it contradicts itself and yada, yada, yada? But then I learned to continue reading. I learned to follow the story. Everyone say follow the story. Because a lot of us in real life, we get caught up in verse 13. Jesus, you, God, you said, but look what I'm experiencing. You said that I wouldn't go under, and now I'm way under that. I don't even know where the light is anymore. You said that this wouldn't happen, but now it's happening. But I want to tell you, read the next verses. There's more. There's always going to be more because we serve the God who cannot break truth. And what does the story continue? What you and I call the end, the Father calls my beginning. When we finally reach our natural human end point, where even the laws that govern our reality can no longer continue, that's when God says, now that you're done, I'm ready to begin. And often, God waits for us to finish so that we don't get in the way. Tell your neighbor, stop getting in the way. You want to see the miraculous occur? Stop getting in the way. The faster that you reach your end, the faster that his beginning can manifest. And like I mentioned on Sunday, you and I, in the sovereign will of the Father, are just playing catch-up. Everything in God's established will has already occurred in what you and I would call time. In what spiritual reality, it's eternity. It's already occurred. We are just simply needing to arrive at that moment. You follow me? Now, for you and I, we have what's called impatience. Right? We get impatient. And when we don't see what we are expecting in the very moment that we snap our fingers, ooh, we get almost like snarly and we get anxious and we get really pressed. But here's the thing. When you and I finally get out of the way with our doubt and complaining and our manipulation and our emotions and everything that just simply gets in the way, then God can do the work that no one else is able to do. And this is something that I know was mentioned a lot when Leonard and Leslie were here and a lot of us took it as just <laughs> just some more Christian lingo. Leonard repeatedly said, pero con Dios, nada es imposible. And what did we do? <laughs> oh, he spoke Spanish. <laughs> and the phrase just... Because the reality is, with God, that's an actual truth. With Him, everything becomes a possibility. If he wills it, it's a matter of it occurring. If he says no, it doesn't matter how much you can and stomp your feet and wave your hands and put into the tithe bucket. If God says no, sir, it's just not going to happen. But see, we think that we can get our wallets and look, God, putting in a 50 today. Make it happen tomorrow. And then, and then we show up on Sunday. All right, God, it didn't work out. Look, I'm going to give you 100. Oh, even though I make like eight times more than that, I'm going to give you what I was left over for the week. But here, take it anyways. Make it happen tomorrow. But it's not in the will of the Father. I mean, they mentioned, I'm pretty sure they prayed 
for their daughter to survive her illness. I mean, they use the story in Mark 5 and Matthew 9 about Jairus' daughter who was dead and Jesus brought her back. I'm sure they thought, God, if you brought her back, why can't you bring my little girl? Really puts things into, into perspective, right? <laughs> we saw Parthenia's testimony. I mean, the woman should have died like 30 years ago. And she's still kicking around, healthy as can be, wonderful woman. And I'm sure they've prayed things, they've read in Scripture about God doing things for other people, but not for them. Because again, if it's in the will of the Father, if it's to be, who? no one can stop it. <laughs> no one. Not your doubt, not your fear, not even... The devil, Satan, uh-uh. But if God says no, if Papa says that's not for you, there's nothing that can cause that to change because God doesn't break truth. And I, wanna, I need to hurry. I need to hurry. Now, here's the thing. Mary and Martha thought that what they witnessed was Lazarus's last moments. But what they didn't know is that in Jesus' action, he had other plans for Lazarus. Mary and Martha had no idea that Jesus was going to do what ends up happening in verse 40. If you jump down to John chapter 11, verse 40, it says this, Jesus responded. This was after Mary and Martha complained. Jesus, we told you. Everyone say, Jesus, I told you. Say it, tell him. I know you've said it before, so just say it again. God, I told you. I told you it wasn't going to work out. How many of you guys have used that one? I have. <laughs> it, it sounds really silly when you say it out loud and you realize, wait, what did I just say to God? I knew it wasn't going to work out. Please, he wrote the story. I was a stubborn one. So Mary and Martha tell Jesus, we told you that he was sick and you decided to stay longer away. If you had just shown up. See, they knew something about Jesus. But they didn't fully believe the power in the word. Because they still doubted and complained and blamed him. <laughs> they blamed him for the death of Lazarus. So Jesus responds to their current situation didn't i tell you that you would see god's glory if you believe so they rolled the stone aside and 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 i could picture almost jesus just step just standing in front of the stone foreshadowing if you know what foreshadowing means jesus standing in front of the stone i love that picture because he's looking at that stone saying this ain't going to be the last time this happens. <laughs> so he's standing in front of the stone, and he just, I just picture him like in modern times, just to roll up his sleeves and say, whoo, this is going to be good. You know, you got a little country accent in there too. This is going to be good. And he rolls up his, sleeve, his sleeves, and he says, he looks up to heaven because that's where Papa is. Papa's everywhere, and he's in heaven, and he says, Father, Thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. And I like how he says this next thing, but I had to say it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so they would believe that you sent me. In every little moment, Jesus always looks to glorify the Father. He never looked for credit. That's why he would tell people, go and tell no one what you have just witnessed. And people are so obedient that they'd go tell the whole town. And he says, thank you for hearing me, Father. Thank you that you always hear me. And then he looks at that grave. In verse 43, one of the most famous 
and mind-bending, reality-shifting moments happens in the history of history. He says, then Jesus shouted. When Jesus shouts, oh, buddy, that's how you know he ain't playing. Because he knew death was no joke. And he wasn't going to act kindly towards death. He wasn't going to show death any respect. He was going to show death who its boss was. The owner of death just spoke up and he shouted, Lazarus, come out. And 44, look how, verse, look how John records this. And the dead man. Just so that you furthermore get puzzled in your mind, Jesus shouts into this grave and he speaks to the person specifically. Some scholars would say that if Jesus had just spoken, come out, the entire graveyard would have risen up. So he had to be very specific. He said, Lazarus, all y'all, not yet. Lazarus, you come out. And then, and the dead man came out. His hands and feet bound in grave cloths, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. This is a historical, mind-breaking event. You want evidence that God is real? There it is. You want evidence that God cannot break truth? Here it is. Every element, because if you didn't remember, Lazarus was dead for four days. Four days. No oxygen. Immediate, immediate rotting of the body. No blood pumping, nothing, just a corpse. And Jesus just spoke, just shouts these, this phrase, Lazarus, come out. And you know what really bothers me about the, the, um, current societal norm that we live in today and I mean and I'm not I'm not embarrassed or like defensive uh, uh, you know to share these things I saw this uh, he calls himself a reverend whatever he is he calls himself Reverend Brandon if you've ever seen his videos and he says did you know that John chapter 11 Jesus helps the first open gay person to come out because the bible says he, this is him saying that jesus when he was telling lazarus to come out he was speaking to his sexuality and not to his physical being welcome to modern day theology i, I, I have a different phrase for that but i'm not going to use it for respect to those that are visiting us today <laughs> That's what people nowadays are using scripture as. The first openly gay man, Jesus helped him come out. Are you kidding me? You have got to be very lost to really think that that is what Jesus was saying. But see, here's the thing. They don't know the Father. They know a father. They know the father of lies, but they don't know the father. And what you and I read here is we, we, we notice this, this is just one event of the natural occurrences in the spiritual realm. Scripture is full of truth. And until we start living in the reality of truth that is Christ Jesus, because again, he is the way, he is the way, if he is those things and he is those things, then our struggle in who we are and who 
God is, fades away. When we learn to live in the reality that Jesus is the way, that he is the truth, and he is the life. The life of what? The life of a son, the life of a daughter. The truth of what? That I am a son and I am loved. The way to what? The way to the Father. Everything that Christ is, is a mere directional pointing to not only who the Father is, but to who you are. Who you are created to be. Maybe not who you are yet, because maybe you're still struggling with that identity crisis. But until you reach that understanding, everyone say understanding, of who God is, you will not rely on Papa. You will read factual truth, but you will not be able to fully understand and believe it. The amazing thing is that factual truth is the Word made flesh. <laughs> the Word made flesh is factual truth because factual truth is the Word made flesh. <laughs> yeah, it's that simple. Again, the gospel is the story of a father who loves his son. And it's about a son who would do anything for his father. Papa says that he wants to father you. But if you don't accept that Christ can heal your wounds of resentment, of pain, of sickness, of unforgiveness, of bitterness, your childhood trauma, the abuse you suffered, the neglect that you endured, the betrayal that you felt, if you don't allow Christ to heal you will always turn away from being fathered. You'll show up to church, but the moment that they say, all who are in need come and receive healing, the first thing you do is, all right, I'm done. I'm going to be nice and just wait till they finish praying, and then I'm going to go. Because you don't fully comprehend. You're not willing to fully embrace the reality that the only one who has the ability to heal your, insert your, until you come to terms with that reality, with that truth, being fathered becomes difficult. Being fathered becomes almost like a threat. What do you mean you want to be my father? Why? Why do you want to be my father? You, you just want to control me. Because in their own personal life, their earthly father was controlling. Their earthly father was harmful. I have a student that always breaks my heart when she comes to my classroom and she always comes in tears, and she tells me, Sir, I need to tell you what my dad told me, or what my dad did. And she, she exploded it all on me, and it was, you know, it was close to, to the end of the day, and she just told me everything about her father, that her father left her mother for another woman, and he abandoned all of you know, her and her, her younger sister and her two little brothers, and all of, um, for about a year, they struggled to even put food on the table that she wouldn't eat most days because she wanted her little siblings to eat, and they always struggled with money because the mom wasn't educated because the father was controlling. He didn't want the mom to do anything. He wanted to be the provider, so he would do all those things. But then one day he left, and he took all of their life savings. Thousands upon thousands of dollars, he just took it all and went out with this other woman. And as she was telling me all these things, she just began to bawl and bawl. And I'm thinking, Lord, do not let me do the right thing. Lord, let me do the fatherly thing. And as she was crying, I noticed that she was wanting to lean in, but she, she wasn't really sure if she could. And I was thinking to myself, I'm at work. There's no one else in this room. What am I going to do? And then I kept telling myself, Lord, don't let me do the right thing. And, and patting her on the head and say, it's okay. Lord, let me do the fatherly thing. And I said, okay. And I kind of noticed her 
kind of you know, wanting to lean forward, and, and I, I just extended my arm. And the moment when I did this, it, she came faster than a bullet. And she just went, and she just began to weep. And I just held her head, and I could just feel her agony and her, her because her, her question is, why doesn't my father want me? And I heard her just cry, why doesn't he want me? And I'm thinking to myself, my God, what do I do? And I just held her. And she cried and cried and cried. And part of me was thinking, I really hope nobody looks through that window because this is going to look really weird. But then the other part of me was, Father, you're not embarrassed to father me. So I don't want to be embarrassed in this moment. And I just held her. And then she calmed down and I let her go. And then she just began to tell me what was in her heart. And I began to just express to her just love. I told her, look, if you were my daughter, I would have never done that. I think you're an amazing young girl. I think you're crazy at times. But I think that any, any father that, is, that would have had you as their daughter, I think it's a privilege. And I think that you're... And I just began to just speak words of life into her. And then it, it got me thinking, Lord, how many times have you said that over me in my moments of just pain and suffering and when I think, Lord, you don't love me, and the scriptures scream the phrase, Son, I love you. An undeniable factual truth is that the Father loves his own. How do you know? Why would all these things happen to me if, if God really loved me? Because sometimes the only way for us to truly understand is to experience some stuff. But it's not fair. No, but it's good for you. You want to learn valuable lessons in life? Look through Scripture and you tell me how it's fair that Joseph was betrayed by his brothers and then sold as a slave and then he was falsely accused of rape and then thrown into a dungeon and he was faithful to God. You tell me how that's fair. And then I'll tell you how your life is fair. Because at the end of the day, Joseph's story did not end with him in the dungeon. It ended with him on the throne. He went from being sold as a slave, as property, to being the one that dealt out property. What do you need? And when his father and his brother showed up, he didn't stand and say, I will now. He didn't pass judgment on them. He said, it's me, your brother. What do you need? You tell me how that's fair. When he had every right to execute judgment, and it would have been righteous because it's what they deserved. But that foreshadows the love of a father who loved his own so much that even though they deserved eternal damnation and it would have suited us right, the Father says, I can't do that to my own. I can't deny them. I can't deny who I am. I love my creation. And I can't deny what I've spoken over them, that if they believe in me, I will do greater things through them. That if they believe in me, I will make way where there is no way. That if they believe in me, if they follow the way, the truth, and the life, that they'll be with me. As Jesus says in chapter 14 of John, did I not tell you that I'm going to make, that I'm making rooms for you? Would I have told you this if it was not true? He tells the disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. <laughs> and that's the thing about love. When we truly understand that life isn't about it being fair, it's about seeing the Father. Ooh, church, I tell you, your entire perspective changes and your ability to complain now seems a lot more silly because you're thinking, oh man, things are really hard right now. Father, where are you? Not, Father, where are you? What are you doing? It's, Father, where are you? Like Moses, between the sea and the people of Egypt. Father, where are you? You said that we will not die from this. So, Father, made a way. 
I'm going to open up the ocean, Moses. I'm going to break your natural laws of physics. I'm going to break your reality in two pieces. And the crazy thing about it is Moses didn't say, what? What do you, you mean you can do that? He just said, you want, you, you want me to pick up my staff? Okay. Because that wasn't the first time that God uses the stick to do a miracle. He's made the stick into a snake. He made Moses tuck his hand in his robe and it was full of leprosy and he stuck it back in and it was healed. Moses had already come to terms with the God who can't deny himself and he also can't break truth. If he says it, if he speaks it, the word was with God and the word was God. An undeniable reality of living in the word. You, you, for so long, we thought living in the word was this. Okay, my devotional says to read Exodus 35. Then Moses assembled at the congregation and the sons of Israel. Uh, Moses, okay, that's a wow, wonderful devotion. Lord, thank you for your word. Amen. And we think that's living in the word. <laughs> living in the word is living in the reality of the word. In the reality of the resurrected Christ that said, literally says, greater things you shall do than these. And he points to what he's done. How about that for a mind-blown statement? What do you mean greater? You called out a dead man. You're saying that I can do that? And Jesus says, greater things than these you shall do. See, we hear it and we're still like, I don't know. See, you don't know, but he's already written it out. It's not about trying to fully understand what he says. A lot of the things I'm sure Moses was like, God, what? But see, he, he just did it. I'm sure David, when he was just there thinking, God, you made me a king and I'm only 15 years old. What? I'm sure even David, when he fell and he had a woman, a woman's husband murdered because he wanted Bathsheba. David, the man after God's own heart, had a moment where he allowed his flesh to come out. And he sent her husband to the front lines knowing this guy's not going to make it and I'm going to have a new wife. Ooh. And in David's lowest moment, the father didn't say, and I will strike you down and wipe you from every generation. From you, my son will come. Son of David. Son of David. We see Rahab, the prostitute. If you, if you read the genealogy of Jesus, Rahab, a prostitute who God used to save the spies of Israel. We're talking about a prostitute here. <laughs> but see, that's who she was. But she became a woman worthy to bring forth the Messiah. We, and we read about all of these people, church. Oh, man. We can read and read. <laughs> Just live in the Word. And you realize, I should probably not complain about my life anymore. I'm, I'm glad I'm not Job, who had it all and lost it all for no reason other than God wanting to show off. Ooh, if you've ever prayed God show off in my life, think very hard about that statement. Because what God was bragging about Job was his ability to simply obey and follow and be faithful. So God, I ask that you would show off in Arturo's life. My life is fine, Lord. I'm good. I'm good. You don't have to do it in mine. But in, one, in any of them, Lord, do it in them. In William's life too. Why not? And we read scripture and we read about this father who all he wants is his children. All he wants is his children to sit at the table that he's prepared for them. 
to sit at a table with your name on it. To dine with Papa. To laugh with Papa. To be happy when, he, when Papa shows up. Today when I got home, I thought it was the cutest thing. And I said, Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for this little simple illustration that I can share tonight. But that it brings me more joy that I get to experience it. I get home and I hear Wendy and she's, you know, with the kids changing them. So I go in there and, you know, I, I walk in and then I turn the corner and out comes running Oliver naked. Because <laughs> he had just gotten a bath. But he didn't say, oh my gosh, I'm naked. Hold on, hold on, hold on. No, he just said, Papa's home. Just like David, when the ark was coming back, it says David danced naked, and he could care less who was watching. Oliver just ran up to me, and I thought, I thought it was the most adorable thing. Because he didn't care how he looked. How could he? He was just happy I was home. My son was happy that I was finally there. And when I went down to, hug, to give him a hug, he clung on to me and he just wrapped him, his little naked body around me. And I just embraced him and I just thought, this is just the greatest moment. This is, this is how you must feel, Papa, when I get happy that you show up. Instead of complaining, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you stop it? But I, I just get happy when you show up. How different would our day-to-day -day life be if we would simply be joyful that Papa shows up? Even if for you it may seem too late, it already happened, what if we just, thank you, Papa, for being here? What I thought was supposed to happen didn't happen. It took me months to realize, and I know that I share this a lot, but I want to share this with those that may not know my entirety of my story. That when our son, when he, when he was about three or four months of, you know, when his pregnancy was diagnosed with Down syndrome, my first reaction wasn't hallelujah, it was why me? God, you must be punishing me for all of the craziness and lies and sin that I did against my father. Me thinking that God was this judgmental, um, angry, white-beard fellow that just wanted to, sh to punish me for what I did wrong. Very wrong perception of what the Father is. And I, hearing these things about, you know, my son having this thing that he's going to live with forever. It's not like he's cancer where, you, you know, you can see it go away. It's not like it's a limb where you can get a prosthetic. It's something that he can never get rid of. You cannot even pray it away. <laughs> Talk about a thorn, like Paul mentions. And I thought, and I, I thought, God, why me? Why? But see, what the Father was Solely showing me is that, Kevin, he's not even for you. You're just a vessel. He's mine. I need him to have everything in his body perfectly the way that it needs to be. If for you it looks like a disability, for me it looks like opportunities to manifest glorious, glorious power. Yeah. And when I began to understand Little by little, months of wrestling with that mindset of, God, you're punishing me, versus, God, this is an opportunity for you to love me. Moments like today solidify the reality of truth. They are moments for God to show me what unconditional love really looks like. Just a naked baby. Happy as Papa's home. Now, wives, I'm, wives and husbands, I'm not saying you run up to your spouse naked all the time, right? Be mindful. But how about we drop the fig leaves? How about we drop the coverings? How about we simply let go of this facade of, I can do it all, I don't, I don't need anything, I'm fine. And we just act like naked babies. And it's bath time with Papa. 
Because that's all Papa wants. His children. His sons and daughters. With an, with an invasion of Father's love, our perception of what church is and who the church is becomes redefined. You can no longer view the reality of what church is and who the church is when you allow Father's love to begin to fill your church. What do you mean your church? The Church of Mauricio. The Church of Marina, who's got three members in it. The Church of Julie, the Church of William. The Church of Nelly. When we allow the Father's love to flow into our church, ooh, how different service becomes. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not talking about this. Because if... Our services, me, if Kevin's services get redefined by love, and then Marina's, and then Robin's, and then Nelly, and then Arturo Sr. and Jr., and then Mauricio and Isaac, and then Janet and William and Christian, and if, if, if our services get redefined, can you imagine when we show up together for a completely redefined service? Yeah. Yeah. Whew. Church wouldn't even, Sundays wouldn't satisfy Wednesdays would just be like a little, no, 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 not again. It'd be like a little nibble. You give me five more minutes? Okay, I'll take an hour. <laughs> Father's love is designed to completely redefine what church and who the church is. Because the church... Let me tell you, you, me, this place, who we are and who we represent, the church is not a hiding hole where we're supposed to just gather and stay quiet about what we experience. No, 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 no. Let me paint you a pretty little picture on the reality of, what, of who the church is. Church is a loaded cannon that is aimed toward the gates of hell, and they have no intention of stopping their firepower. A church that is designed in Father's love and operates in Father's love is unmoving and unafraid to fire against the gates of hell themselves. Because what we represent, they can't handle. We represent the Father and Father's love. And our war is against hell and its angels and agents. The agent of the daddy issue. The issue with father. The reason why in American culture, father figure is now being just torn into shreds, obliterized, because the enemy knows the importance of the father. If we reestablish the Father into our reality, into our homes, into our church, the gates of hell know that their time is done. They already know their days are numbered. <laughs> if you didn't remember, the Alpha and the Omega has already sealed the deal. It's already written. If, you don't, if, if you're too anxious or you don't know what's going on, just read the book of Re Revelations, chapter 21, 22. <laughs> it ends with us singing hallelujah. Glory is the Lamb. Glory, glory, glory. Hosanna in the highest. Worthy, exalted be the Lamb like no other. Almighty Jesus, Redeemer, Savior, Holy One, Mighty One. And it's a never-ending cycle of worship because we get to experience what's already been written. Again, church, we're just playing catch-up. And it's easy for us to forget the truth that we've already won through the Father, through Christ, through the Holy Spirit. Because again, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word said, it is finished. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. 
and that his father who said it is finished. So he sent Jesus to put the nail in the coffin and to Jesus, I love you, but I love them too. And I love them like I love you and I need you to go and I need you to seal this for me because I spoke it. And I can't deny who I am. I can't deny that I'm a loving father. I can't leave them to suffer under the lies of Lucifer. I can't do that. So I'm going to send you because I love them like I love you. And because I spoke, it is finished. You need to go finish it. And Jesus said, yes, Papa, I love them too. I want them to be with me. In fact, I want them to sit where I sit. I want us to be together. That's what heaven is all about. Father, playing with his sons and daughters, living in the word, the reality of the kingdom. Why don't we stand to our feet this morning, this, this, this night, and we're going to close. And I don't know if this will be the last time that I minister on the God who can't. If it is, so be it. If not, let it be so. But I hope that we learn tonight God cannot deny himself. He's a father, and he will do what a father does, whatever the cost. Jesus says to count the cost, and the father counted it, and he said, it's worth the price. And he can't deny truth. He's already spoken over you. He's spoken over your life. He's spoken, it is finished. All we got to do is bring it to his feet so we can see the manifest word of the Lord. And Father, we thank you this night that you are a real father. That when we say Papa, it's not disrespectful. It's not sacrilegious. It's personal. Because you are a God that wants personal. And you want personal so much that your entire entity is that you are a father and you want to father the fatherless. I stretch out my hand, Father, at this moment to every heart watching through that camera, sitting here live in person or listening to the podcast. Wherever they would listen, Lord, let it be the perfect timing for you. Let it hit them exactly in the perfect moment. Let the, the, the healing love of Papa flow into your heart. Experience the reality of the word. The word has said, it is finished. You may be experiencing it, you may be just beginning, or you may be in the middle of it, but your circumstance doesn't change what he's already spoken over. You said it is finished. And Father, we hold on to that truth. We, we say we believe that truth. We confess that we need you, Papa. I need you. What can I accomplish away from you? But nothing. So this night we rejoice and we become glad that the Father in the heavens looks down and says, you are mine. So we rejoice and we thank you, Papa, for your love, for your acceptance, for your redemption, for your victory, for your acceptance, for your place at the table. Thank you. We say thank you, Papa. In Jesus' mighty name, the church says amen, amen, and amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight, church. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we, we want to invite any and all that have come to give, whether a tithe offering or just a, a, a seed of love. The baskets are open. You can give online through PayPal, Zen, um, Zell, sorry, and uh, 
or tithely. And we bless you, we thank you, and we'll see you all back here Sunday morning. Be blessed.